one 9646 is the number. We'll get to this into more detail, but it is the Injury Calculator. You can check it out as we uh, do the show over the next hour at InjuryCalculator.ca. If you have any questions about uh, long-term disability, short-term, anything that we're going to talk about, you can fill those in on the website, get instant answers. Chances are your question has been answered. If not, Savannah gets to them right away, and that is MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Lots to do in the show today. We'll start with uh, some cases, some week that was. Brother, how are you? I'm very good, John. Good. Um, so last week we had uh, a very interesting week. Oh. Uh, one of the cases I resolved in Ottawa. Um, we have an office there, yep. of course, and we have lawyers there. Uh, and some of the cases we get, uh, you know, because of their size and complexity, uh, I make sure that I'm there in person. Very, very important. So I went there. We had a fantastic mediator. It was a long-term disability claim. Now, I can't give you too many details because, of course, we resolved it. And whenever right. you resolve these claims, the individual on whose behalf we resolve the claims has to sign a release with a confidentiality yep. clause. What I can tell you is this, sort of just a broad strokes. We're talking with someone about someone who um, was disabled from working uh, at a very high paying job. Uh, his uh, impairments were psychological in nature. We're talking about very severe psychological issues that prevented him from work. And the insurance company what they did is late last year, around December time, they sent them a letter saying that we believe that 10 months from now, so we're talking about around this time, perhaps around August actually uh, of this year, um, August, sorry, August, September mm-hmm. okay, of this year, we are going to be cutting you off because that's the two-year mark. So they're crystal balling it again. They're crystal balling yeah. it, which is something that I've seen a few times before, right? The insurance company, it's one thing for them to say, look, you know, your two-year mark being on LTD is coming up over the next few weeks, few months. We don't think based on all the medical documents we have right now that you would qualify for the expanded definition. Remember, Mm -hmm. within the first two years of being on LTD, the test is, can you do your own job? Beyond that, if you want to continue receiving payments for long-term disability, the test becomes that you have to meet. Can you do any job? Any job is the key phrase for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. And so this gentleman uh, was reaching that point Uh, in August of this year, and late last year, they had projected that all the way now, in August of this year, he would not qualify, which of course course makes no sense, right? No one has a crystal ball. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, we started a legal claim, and we had resolved it last week, and I can tell you, John, we resolved it for a very nice amount of money for this individual, and here's the beauty. It's not as though he had been cut off yet, meaning they told him they were going to cut off. So he's actually going to be receiving an additional usual payment, right, for the next month. Yep. And at the same time, he's going to get this lump sum settlement for X amount of years into the future. And now the umbilical cord has been cut between him and the insurance company. He can move on. He can do whatever he needs to do. Nice. They can move on as well. Because oftentimes when people come to me uh, with disability claims, they usually come to me after they've been cut off, after they've been denied mm-hmm. LTD. And usually there's a few months that pass between the time they've been cut off, they've been without any money, and until the time that they actually come to me and that we can start doing something. During that time, a person has to live. They have to support their family, pay the mortgage. That's why I keep telling people, don't wait. No. If you have an inkling even, forget about actually having been told right now that you're going to be cut off in the future. If you have an inkling that something is going wrong, you know, that your claim's going off the rails, the adjuster is somehow indicating to you or doing something, you know, out of the ordinary and you're thinking, you know what, 
my claim is in jeopardy. I've been getting payments X amount of months, but you know, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to get cut off yeah. over the next month, two months, five months. Give me a call. Before the ship Let's sails, have a tra- right? Exactly. Yeah. At least you'll know how to be prepared. Perhaps you can take active measures beforehand the way we did for this gentleman who ended up having no gap between the time that he had this cutoff right. that was anticipated almost 10 months in advance and that lump sum settlement he's now going to be receiving over nice. the next few weeks which is going to be extremely beneficial to him, and it's going to allow him to have the cash flow he needs to live for X amount of years into the future. one 990 What else you got before we go into a uh, short break here? All right. Here's an email that was sent to uh, my email, help at the uh, sorry help at insurancelawyers.ca. Uh, so this one came from um, a gentleman. His um, I'm not going to say his name, but here's what he wrote. He says, Hi, Sivan. My question is that my brother has been on LTD for about five years. He was harassed and bullied at work. Uh, he has severe depression, PTSD, and anxiety. His insurance wants him to see their doctor. Does he have to go see him even though his doctor says that he's unable to do any work? And what if that insurance doctor is biased? Right. What are his options? We've talked about this in the last show, the show before that. As part of the LTD policy that you have, those policies, policies in general, LTD policies, usually have provisions obligating the insured, yep. the person on disability, to see these assessors that the insurance companies are asking you to see. You can't say that you're not going to go see these people because if you do that, the insurance company is going to say or take the position, you are in breach of the provision of the policy, so therefore we don't have to pay you. Yep, they can do that, sure. So what you do, and and this is really what I keep emphasizing, is first of all, don't be afraid. Go to that assessor. Be absolutely truthful, okay? Don't exaggerate anything. Be truthful. Don't embellish. Just be yourself. Be truthful. Uh, And after the assessment... Hound your insurance adjuster, the case manager handling your file, for a copy of that assessor's report. You have a right to get a copy of it. You do. Get a copy of it, a full copy, okay, whether you've seen a psychologist, psychiatrist, orthopedic surgeon, whatever. Get a copy. Go through it in detail, okay? Make sure you note any issues with it, any inconsistencies, any mistakes, anything that you think you should bring to the attention of the adjuster, and then take that report to your own treating physicians, and have them comment on it. So if your psychiatrist says, you cannot go back to work because of X, Y, and Z, and the insurance psychiatrist says, no, you can, get your your treating psychiatrist to go through the insurance doctor's report and provide their rebuttal, right? Their answer to it and give that answer to the adjuster. That's how you insulate yourself nice. from a potential cutoff. Lots more to come. one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And we'll get to it shortly, the injury calculator. That can be found at injurycalculator.ca. As well, this is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number to get hold of Savan anytime. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Uh, lots of stuff going on here. What else you got for us? Okay, well, here's another gentleman that yep. uh, contacted our office for an LTD claim. This person is 57 years old. He's a tire technician. He first went on LTD on February uh, 6, 2014, so a few years back. Yep. Now, he phoned them on March 3rd of this year because he still hasn't received any payments for that month, and that's when he was verbally told by the adjuster that he was being cut off. He never received a denial letter, so he found out that his uh, last LTD payment was on February 2nd. Now, here's the interesting thing. The the nature of disability is that he hurt his back at work, and he's been seen by various uh, specialists. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, 
Uh, by the way, sorry, I made a mistake. He wasn't uh, there from February 6, 2014, but from 2015. Uh, so it's the two-year yeah, mark. So they cut him off at the two-year yep. mark. And standard, again, right? standard. But I want to emphasize this for people out there. If you are on LTD, don't simply assume that if you were cut off at the two-year mark, that there's nothing you can do. You know, I've had situations where people have told me, it's rare, but people have told me that they've been told by their adjusters, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's standard to cut you off to stop payments after two years. Well, let me tell you this. If you are not 63 years old, right, because most of these policies go to age 65, then no, it's not standard (laughs) for the policy to simply get cut off after two years unless you have a very limited, uh, time-limited policy. And, you know, you do have policies out there uh, where, you know, they pay out for a few years, five years, 10 years, as opposed to taking you to 65. But most policies out there, most listeners here who either know someone on LTD or have LTD themselves, if you check your policies, you will see in most instances, it will take you to age 65. But what you will also see is that change in definition, right, which we've talked about before. For the first two years, I'm going to emphasize that again, the question is, the criteria is for getting LTD, can you do your own job? Full stop. So full stop. So you're going to have a doctor or two doctors or whoever you're going to have that's treating you writing a report or a series of reports saying why it is that you are unable to do your job. But beyond the two-year mark, and this is where it gets you know sort of tricky and where people think that, oh, this is just standard. I'm getting cut off because everyone else is getting cut off. The test it, it, it's, it's not as though the, the, you know, the policy ends. It's, it's that the test just changes. Yeah, you got to go somewhat. through a finer strainer. You got it, exactly. Yeah. The question then becomes, can you do any job, any job for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? So let's take an example, one that we've used before. Uh, let's say you have an orthopedic surgeon who uses their hands, right? Mm-hmm. That person, if they've injured their hands, perhaps they can't do their job, right? They can't operate. So for the first two years... You know, assuming that their injuries are permanent to their, their hands. Their own job. Exactly. They cannot operate. So therefore, they cannot do their job. But beyond the two-year mark, the question then becomes not can you operate, but can you do any other job for which you tr- uh, train for, uh, uh, sorry, for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. So can you teach? Right. Can you teach at, you know, I don't know, UFD Medical School, right. UBC, whatever it is, right? So that's, it's not that the policy automatically ends. And that's very important because people time and time again email me, call me and say, my sister, my brother, my cousin, me, I've been cut off. It's all over. Or I'm told, yeah, yeah. the two-year mark is coming up. It's, that's it. I'm done. What, what's my recourse? Well, hold on. Let's look at the policy. If the policy doesn't end after two years and you're not 63 years old or this is how old you were two years ago, mm-hmm. no, then we have to look as to whether or not you can work. And of course, my next question to the person is, well, do you feel you can do anything else? for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. Second question is, what are your doctors saying? Will they support you being off work from any other type of job? Because if the answer to both of these questions is yes, i.e. I cannot do any other work at this point, and my doctors support me not being able to do anything else, well, then I'd like to understand from the insurance company's perspective, how did they come to the conclusion that you should be able to do something else and don't qualify? And what I have found over years of doing this work is that insurance companies many times, and again, this is anecdotal, this is my view, my belief. Because you work there as well on that I, side I, of the table. I've worked for insurance companies right. in the past, exactly. I didn't work in the LTD context. I right. worked defending them in car accidents, slip yep. and fall, et cetera. But really the logic is very similar. It's, you know, we are going to deny, we're going to cut you off, and we're going to hope that the majority of people out there are going to walk away. You're going to turtle. Exactly. Yeah. And so that means that there is a huge pot of money left at the end of the day that otherwise we would have had to pay these people 
that we are keeping ourselves. And they're hedging their bets. It's the same as, uh, you know, employment law. When someone gets severance, they assume, oh, I got two weeks per year. I guess that's right. They Absolutely. walk away. You, you tens of thousands of dollars. But you know, John, right? the difference is, is that a lot of employers, they don't know. They right. don't understand their rights. They simply assume, you know, I just have to pay one week per year, whatever, right? Yeah. Insurance companies are sophisticated yeah, entities, know. very sophisticated. Right? They lobby the government for, for legislation that helps them. So you need someone on your side that can you know, level the playing field. Because exactly. at the end of the day, if it's you versus the adjuster and you have no knowledge of the insurance industry, You're done, son. you are outgunned completely. Yeah. And the reality is it's actually not as difficult as you think. You know, that case I mentioned at the beginning of the show in Ottawa that I had, we resolved the case within a matter of hours. A, ca- a case that otherwise, you know, would have taken, I don't know how long to resolve. Why? Because in our room was me and my client and another one of our lawyers. In the other room was the defense lawyer who knew exactly what her, you know, the liability that the insurance company had that they would have to pay. And there was an adjuster from the insurance company, but not the same adjuster who was dealing with my client throughout the claim. Okay. So remember, once you start a legal claim, an LTD claim, it's not the adjuster that was handling the file up until now that dictates how much money is going to get paid on it, how much of a settlement the client is going to get. It's a different adjuster. It's a new pair of eyes. Yeah, it's a new person. So, you know, oftentimes people call me and they say, I'm so frustrated with my adjuster. You know, they're they're being difficult and, you know, they're they're making me anxious and they're telling me I don't qualify. Well, listen, as soon as it comes to us, as as soon as we start a claim, that claim internally within the insurance company passes on to another adjuster, someone who deals with legal claims. And that's how we resolve these claims. one 9646 Keep that number on you. The email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You got some time. We'll get to this as well. The injury calculator. Find out exactly what your pain and suffering should be. What you're entitled to. Injurycalculator.ca as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. one 9646 is the number to get a hold of Savannah. The email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got another case to talk about, then we'll get into some emails and and some questions as well. Okay, so let's talk about, again, it's another LTD case. We're going to have some cases that we're going to talk about there, non-LTD, slip and falls, car accidents. But here's another interesting one. And this one comes from a lady in Mississauga. Uh, So this is a situation where she had applied for short-term disability with one of the major insurance companies. And she was denied, this is this past June, late June of 2017, she was denied because the insurance company said there was not enough medical uh, backup to confirm and corroborate right. her disability. Uh, and so, you know, her, the, 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 the disability that, that she's dealing with is psychological, uh, depression, significant depression, anxiety, and those have been diagnosed. She has a counselor, she has a family doctor, she's on meds, uh, she has difficulty sleeping, eating, she doesn't go out, she's a hermit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's having difficulties with her employment as well, which I'm going to circle back to in a second. And so again, you have people out there who haven't even gotten shortened disability, let alone long-term disability, right? Why? Because the insurance company, for whatever reason, decides you don't qualify even under the uh, easier, quote-unquote, definition, right. right? Can you do your own job? And so what happens in these cases is, of course, again, we go through the same analysis, you know, can you do your own work? Do you feel you can do your own work? Of course, the person says, no, that's why they're coming to us. Do you have doctors, a counselor, somebody that says you cannot work? Well, check. Yep. In this case, she says, yeah, I have those. They're backing me up. So I want to see now, why is it the insurance company is taking the position that this person 
should not be deemed unable to go back to work. And you know, what I find, which is very troublesome, and I've talked to a lot of psychologists about this, is that insurance companies, uh, as you can imagine, John, they look at psychological illnesses and uh, diseases and things like that as invisible type yeah. of injuries. Almost right? second rate, right? Se- you, yeah. yeah, it's like, can you prove it? You know, yeah. we don't really believe you. And I understand why they are being very skeptical because it's not like a broken bone. You can't see it on an X-ray, on an right. MRI. But the fact that you are having these issues and you, that somebody can't see them you know, on an X-ray doesn't mean they don't exist. And that's why it's so important in these kinds of instances to show that you've been seeking treatments. You've been going to a counselor. You've been going to a psychologist, a social worker. Your family doctor has been seeing you every few weeks because you know, you're having these issues. You're on medications if you can tolerate them. Right. Now, people who come to me who have been rejected from short-term disability, one of the things we do is we figure out do they have access also to long-term disability? Because, you know, if I'm starting a claim for short-term disability, I'm going to start that for long-term disability at the same time if it's the same insurance company. People often think that, oh, hold on for a second. You know, I've only been cut off or denied by the short-term disability right. insurer, right? The one that covers you for the first few months of being on disability. I can't do anything about the LTD claim. That's not true, particularly if you're dealing with the same insurance company. I'm mentioning these individuals who are coming to me because for every one of these people that comes to me with any one of these sets of issues, there's probably 10, 20, 30 times more individuals out there who are experiencing the same constellation of issues and are afraid to ask. So look, if you don't want to call me or email me, just go to mydisabilityquestions.com and just ask your question. Mm -hmm. People do that daily. It's anonymous. I'll answer your questions within minutes. It's free. And you can actually even scroll through the questions and answers, right? Uh, and I'm happy to answer. I'm happy to give this information. You know, it doesn't cost anything, not to me and not to you. You mentioned there about starting short-term and long-term at the same time if it's the same insurance company. What if it's a different insurance company for your long-term, say? Don't start well, at the same time? No. What I tell people is that if you've been denied short-term disability, then apply immediately for long-term disability. Okay. okay? We're going to take action against the short-term disability insurer. If they're giving you a hard time, you know, I'm not going to start an action. I'm not going to start a legal claim against, uh, you know, the long-term disability insurer if you haven't even applied right, to them. Right, they're not even the picture yet. Exactly. But right. if you're dealing with both types of disability with the same insurance company, well, what's the point of applying now to the same people who denied you short-term for long-term disability, gotcha. right? So I just, I, again, it's a mentality that we have at the firm of moving these claims as fast as possible forward, right? I don't want my clients' cases to just be shelved and mm-hmm. forget about them the way that so many people complain to me that their current lawyers are doing. And again, to be fair, some lawyers do exactly what we do. But the majority of people out there, and I'm sure people are going to be nodding as they're listening to this, they've been dealing with lawyers and they have to, you know, call the lawyer 50 times, leave messages, email. It's brutal. We, brutal. And oh. that's one of the reasons why lawyers don't have the best reputation. And it's unfair, unfair to the individual and frankly, unfair to everyone involved, to the insurance companies, to everyone. There's no reason. If you can't do the work, then don't take on the case. Injurycalculator.ca. Tell me about it. All right. That's a fantastic tool. It's an online tool. Again, it's free. It's anonymous. If you've been injured uh, in Ontario, in BC, um, through no fault of your own, you want to know what you could potentially be looking at as a value for your pain and suffering, right? You broke your arm, broke your back, have pain in your head, concussion, whatever it is. You want to know, well, what can I be looking at as compensation for pain and suffering only? You go on that uh, calculator online, and what it is, it's a database of legal cases from across Canada that my, my team had had put together. Mm-hmm. 
And all you're doing is just giving the calculators a few key pieces of information. When did the accident happen? What kind of injury did you suffer? What's the severity of the injury? So for example, if you tore your shoulder, did you have surgery for your shoulder? Right. Are you having chronic pain? Your age, etc. And then the calculator goes through the database of cases, picks out all the cases that are similar to yours, and tells you, look, in from our review of Canadian case law, other cases that have gone all the way to trial, here's what you can expect to get for pain and suffering. Again, this is just a very, very narrow tool, right? It tells you, you know, for your broken ankle, you can expect to get, let's say, you know, thirty to $60,000. Right. Uh, and you have these ranges, right? Because different injuries affect people differently. But at least you know. You know that for your back injury, you could expect to get fifty dollars to $80,000, an example. But it depends. Did you fracture your back? Is it just chronic pain? Did you have surgery? So very, very cool tool. But again, it only deals with pain and suffering. Right. Doesn't deal with things like income losses, things that are very specific to each case. And at the end of the calculator, you know, if you see the result and you want to contact me directly, you click submit. There's a button at the end. I get the information, get in touch with you, and we can talk about your specific case. It is injurycalculator.ca. That is the website. Check it out. Very easy to use. Uh, Like we said, we'll take a short break. Get right back into your emails here. We'll get to our first one of the show. Uh, You want to send one during the show, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the insurance an Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 1-888-990-9646 is Savan's number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The email that, uh, well, Leslie used says, uh, I slipped and fell on some clear gel that was on the floor at a grocery store I was shopping at in February. I fell pretty hard, hurt my back. I'm 62 and had back surgery about seven years ago. I was okay until this recent fall and likely need another surgery. Now, will my previous surgery be a problem? Is that a pre-existing condition? That's an excellent question. And the issue of pre-existing conditions often comes up in the context of slip and fall yeah. cases, car accidents, and even LTD cases. And, you know, I remember my days as, uh, as an insurance defense lawyer. And of course, you know, we would get uh, the medical files for the injured claimant and I would look through it in detail and I would try and pick out anything that I could use for the benefit of my client, the insurance company, to deny the claim, to limit the claim, to diminish the claim, Anything I can do to say, aha, you see, you had these injuries before. But I also knew at the same time, and every lawyer that does this knows, that there is a difference between a pre-existing condition that is the exact same condition for which you're complaining now, or a pre-existing condition that simply makes you more vulnerable to a re-aggravation. So let's take two examples, Um, Leslie. Let's assume for a second that we have someone who has had no back condition. So let's say you did not have surgery seven years ago on your back, right? Your back was clean. You had no issues. I'm looking through your medical records for the last few years. Everything is clean. You know, maybe you have diabetes or something else, but nothing to do with your back. Well, clearly, we're not going to have any issue here with the insurance company taking the position that you had a pre-existing condition. Your concern is, well, I had surgery seven years ago. I was okay recently, but now there is a re-aggravation and I may need another surgery now. So here's the way that the insurance company is going to look at it. Uh, They will tell you that they think that your claim is worth less because you had this pre-existing condition, right? They're not going to tell you that it's not worth anything. They're just going to tell you it's worth less. But here's what the reality is. The reality is this. If all your medical records... And if you say as well, and it corresponds to the medical records, that you were in fact okay the last few years, you were doing everything a healthy 62-year-old would do, Uh, perhaps you're working, perhaps you're playing with grandkids, living life, doing what, skiing, whatever, and now you can't do it, no one in their right minds is going to come back and say, 
all of these limitations and pains you're experiencing now after the fall are because of what happened to you seven years ago. In fact, in fact, there is an argument to be made here that had your back uh, been okay seven years ago, in other words, had you not had these pre-existing conditions, perhaps this accident would not have affected you as much as it has. What does that mean? It means that because of your pre-existing issues, you were more vulnerable. So, of course, people will then say, well, if I'm more vulnerable, whose problem is that? Whose problem is it that now I have these debilitating conditions because I was vulnerable? Is it my problem or the insurance company's problem? Well, guess what? It's the insurance company's problem. And this is a principle that's enshrined in our law. It comes all the way from England, you know, hundreds of years ago. And the law says this. If you injure someone, you cause someone an injury, and that person's injury, in other words, that person became injured or even more injured because they were vulnerable. In other words, a healthy person would not have been that injured. That is not the problem of the injured person. That is you as the person who caused the injury. That's your Hmm. problem. It's your problem that the person you hurt had this pre-existing condition that made them more vulnerable. And if you think about it, it actually makes sense, right? I mean, this person, Leslie, is now going to have problems potentially for the rest of their lives. Who should bear that? Should Leslie bear that because they were vulnerable at the time of the accident? They didn't cause a slip and fall. They slipped because someone was negligent. Someone left this clear gel on the floor, right? So that's something to consider. So the law says, no, that responsibility, the burden shifts to the store. Now, there's going to be other issues here we're going to have to look at. Did the store have a proper maintenance procedure in place? Did they follow that procedure in place? I mean, there's other issues. But the issue of a pre-existing condition People oftentimes think that, you know, it's very black and white. It's not. If you had a vulnerable back, if you had a vulnerable knee and you slipped and fell, and because of your vulnerability at the time of the accident, you now need a knee replacement, as opposed to someone who was completely healthy and had the same fall and would not have needed a knee replacement, that is a problem for whoever caused the hazard, the store. Very, very important. So, Leslie, we can help you. Give me a call. Email me. We will definitely be able to help you here. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number, Leslie. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, as you know. And if you haven't checked it out, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering should be. The real number. It's right there with a few small, short calculations in about thirty seconds of your time. Question though: when you're uh, when you're starting a claim for compensation, say uh, slip and fall, like we just talked about, or a car accident for that matter, who actually pays the settlement in the end? Is it the insurance company? Is it the individual? Who? Where does it go? It's the insurance company. I mean, unless you're dealing with situations where, for whatever reason, you were in a car accident, the person was driving without insurance, but even then, you get to claim against your own insurer. Wow. Remember, we talked about that? Yep. Instead of the other side's insurer. If you slip and fall on a sidewalk, in a mall, in a store, if it's someone's negligence, meaning it's not just you tripping on your own two feet, okay? And I get those people calling me too. I'm sorry. If you're responsible for your own accident, you're responsible for your own accident. Right. That's the way the law works. But if someone was negligent, if someone hit you from behind in a car accident, T-boned you, you know, something happened where someone else, whether it's an individual, a corporation, whoever, caused you injury, 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, it's the insurance company that is going to, you're going to be dealing with, that we deal with. And that's why I keep emphasizing, you know, I worked for insurance companies in the past I'm telling you this as a certainty. So don't think that by making a claim against this individual who hit you from behind and disabled you or the store 
that left this gel on the, on the floor, don't think that they are going to be writing that check at the end. It's the insurance company going to be writing it. And of course, listen, deductibles are probably going to go up, but the point is it's the insurance company you're going to be dealing with, which is where we come in. We'll take a short break and right back to your emails. It is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. The number is one 9646 The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. one 9646 to get a hold of Savannah anytime and help at the insurance lawyer.ca. The email once again used by many. Sean here emails in at that address, says my wife and I were in a car accident two months ago in the QEW high speed. We were hit from behind and crashed into a tractor trailer. Uh, I was okay, but my wife suffered a uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury. Uh, I'm very concerned about her prognosis. She can't go back to work, and I'm not sure she ever will, actually. She's a marketing manager, 47 years old. I have two questions for you. First, should she apply for LTD uh, through work? And number two, should we start a claim for her injuries or wait a bit to see how she's doing? That's from Sean. Okay, so so Sean, first of all, I'm very sorry for this accident. Uh, TBI is short form for traumatic brain injury, yep. so very, very... Um, uh, serious accident here. To answer both questions, without even elaborating, Sean, the answer is yes to both. Uh, you, I mean, initially, you probably want to go through short-term disability if she has that, and then long-term disability, but you're going to have other claims here as well. Because you're dealing with a car accident, there's going to be accident benefits, which in this case are going to be significant. You're going to be dealing with income replacement benefits. Uh, you're going to be dealing with various treatments and rehab. There's other benefits as well that you can potentially access. Very, very important to get on that ASAP. Car accidents, when it's not your fault and you have a serious injury, you have two types of claims. One is accident benefits, which I just talked about, with your own insurance company. Okay, They're called no-fault benefits. It doesn't matter who's at fault. Even if it's a one-car collision, right? You just hit the guardrail, you can access those benefits, and those are immediate. You have to access those ASAP. That's number one. The other driver, the one who uh, hit you guys from behind, that's going to be a tort claim. Now, you have two years from the date of the accident to start that claim, and what I tell people is there's no reason. In fact, I advocate against waiting the full two years to start Mm -hmm. a claim. Some lawyers, some law offices have it as a procedure in their offices to wait at least a year, year and a half to see how the injuries evolve. I don't apply that kind of a standard uh, to the cases that I handle for a very simple reason, because every case is unique and individual. If you are dealing with a TBI or a fracture, something that is clearly going to be life-altering, life-changing, there's no reason not to start now. Right? We're going to need the police report. We're going to have to figure out who are all the parties that are involved. And what's going to happen here is you're going to have, at a minimum, at a minimum, three potential insurance companies that your wife is going to be dealing with. Uh, the accident benefits insurer, which is your insurance company. The other guys or other sides insurance company, whoever caused the accident. Okay, That's the tort insurer. And potentially here, the STD slash LTD insurance company. And those are three separate claims that move in parallel to each other. My point is that you have multiple avenues of compensation here, and we have to move on all of them quickly. You don't wait on something like this. I mean, look, you have to figure out, obviously, what the game plan is from a health and medical standpoint. So that's the first thing. You have to make sure that she's getting the proper treatments, which given this type of accident, she probably is. But you also have to put uh, in motion an, an action plan with respect to all these insurance companies and make sure that, in, in my mind at least, that they're being handled correctly on all fronts right. sim- simultaneously. I mean, you have to be done in parallel to each other.
Because if they're not, by the way, I've seen before, one office handles this, another office handles that. It's a mess. It, it's a mess. And by the way, there's another thing here. He says she may not be able to go back to work. Well, that's another thing, right? We have to deal with her employer. We have to make sure that her rights are protected as an employee. So right. again, we got to make sure that everything is done correctly at the same time in parallel. one 9646 is the number. Let's uh, flip over to some mental health uh, questions, your mental health claims for that matter. Many people think that LTD doesn't, uh, doesn't cover psychological issues. Of course it does, doesn't it? Yes, but there is a preconception out there, not just for insurance companies to say, look, you know, we disbelieve you. Uh, we think that uh, you know, your anxiety or PTSD or whatever it is is just not... Not that it's not real. It's that we don't th- we don't buy it as being the reason why you cannot work. Okay, particularly when you're not dealing with physical type jobs. Uh, that's that's an ironic thing, by the way, right? You have a lot of insurance companies who say, "Oh, you just work at a desk." I mean, that depression. I mean, you should be able to work through this depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and whatever it is, and do your job. It's not like you have to be on your feet all day. Well, no, absolutely not. In fact, you need to have focus. Memory goes into all of these types of jobs, right? You have to have a certain level of competence psychologically to carry out your duties. We in the industry refer to this as invisible types of injuries or illnesses. There's still uh, a negative connotation that's associated with that. Uh, And a lot of insurance companies would make, I think, by their actions, make people who are going through these kinds of things feel very bad and ashamed. And, you know, people out there who are suffering from this, from depression, from anxiety, from phobias, uh, PTSD, all these things, they would feel ashamed. And sometimes that shame would inhibit them from pursuing a legitimate claim. You know, they really cannot work. Their own doctors tell them, you are not ready to go back to work. And the adjuster says, well, why can't you go back to work? Anyone who's ever suffered from these kinds of illnesses, impairments, will tell you it's debilitating, right? Oftentimes, it's even more debilitating than a physical injury where you can just stand the pain. In these instances, you just want to curl up, go to sleep, or go just elsewhere. Right. So, no, these claims are legitimate. Courts have said time and time again that insurance companies will and must pay when people are disabled from working due to psychological issues, injuries, impairments, etc. What's important is that your practitioners, whoever you're dealing with, a psychologist, social worker, whoever it is mm-hmm. that's helping you, a psychiatrist, that they are helpful. In that case that I talked about, again, I keep coming back, the one in Ottawa, my client psychologist was just phenomenal. Her reports were so strong. I mean, you know, my client was sent to the insurance company's psychiatrist who had validated all of the issues my client was dealing with and then said, but I think that with enough treatment, he should be able to go back to work in X amount of months. My client psychologist tore that report apart. It simply didn't make any sense. He had validated the huge issues that my client was dealing with, uh, the, these psychological barriers, they were just, you know, mind-blowing. And then in the end, he concludes, no, with, with X and Y treatments, he should be able to go back to work in a few months? Makes no sense. Right. And the psychologist was instrumental in helping my client achieve the settlement that he eventually got. one 9646 is the number. Take a short break. You got a couple minutes here. Get to an email and uh, more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up. Talk Radio, AM 640. one 9646 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. If you haven't checked it out, the Injury Calculator. Find out what your pain and suffering is worth. Injurycalculator.ca as well. We'll get to a, an email here from Dina writes in, says, my brother is 46, has been on a LTD, long-term disability for over a year. For vision loss due to an injury at work, he was an office manager. The insurance company wants him to undergo an assessment with a vocational um, expert to determine what else he can do 
But he's very nervous about that. Uh, can he refuse to go? What if he goes and they suggest different types of work that he can do? Will they cut him off? Okay, Dina, thanks for sending that question. In fact, this has uh, there are several issues that I identify with, with the question. It's an excellent question. And by the way, John, Dina is uh, emailing us for her brother. <clears throat> and I really want to encourage people out there, listeners, you know, people oftentimes on disability, uh, on LTD, they don't feel comfortable contacting me. And if you know that you can help them, you contact me. Trust me, you're going to make a huge difference in their lives. So, Dina, let's uh, break up that um, um, email that you had sent. So, your brother has been on LTD for over a year for vision loss due to an injury at work. So, when I hear injury at work, I think workers' comp. I don't know if he had applied for WSB or not, but if he applied or will apply, if he gets any money for workers' comp, from workers' comp, um, most LTD policies will provide a credit for that amount that he ends up getting from workers' comp to the LTD. So if he gets $10,000 for income from workers' comp, right. the LTD is going to be requesting that $10,000 credit. You can't double dip, right? You like, can't yeah. double dip, exactly. Now, the question is this. The insurance company wants him to undergo an assessment with a vocational expert. What is a vocational expert? It's somebody who is... Uh, who works in the position of trying to help you find another job for which you may be suited for, or perhaps help you with what kind of education you can take to change jobs. Perhaps right. you can't you know, do what you're doing right now, John, but we can help you do three other things. So then the question becomes, uh, she says he's very nervous about that. Can he refuse to go? Well, we dealt with that before. No. If the insurance company wants you to see one of their assessors, you gotta go. You, you gotta go. You can't refuse that. I mean, this is not a car blanche. You can't. Mm-hmm. They can't send you to fifteen hundred different assessors. <laughs> but in this case, it's not unrealistic. Uh, it's not insulting to me that the insurance company is trying of to course. see if they can help him identify other types of work that mm-hmm. he can do. Now, you were asking, what if he goes and they suggest different types of work that he can't do? Will they cut him off? Well, no, they're not going to cut him off just by identifying those other types of jobs that potentially they think he can do. But here's the situation. He, he, here's what he should keep in mind. If they come back and say, look, he can do five other jobs or train for those. If he really feels that for whatever reason he can't do it, I don't know why. I don't know, maybe his level of education is not sufficient for him to now be an orthopedic surgeon like they're telling him right. he can do. Right? All he has to do really is go to his treating providers, treating practitioners, and see what they have to say, right? Go to his doctors. Particularly, let's say he has a psychologist that's helping him. Go to the psychologist. Speak with the psychologist about those different vocations. You know, see what they say. Because if your own treating specialists and practitioners are saying, yeah, I think maybe you could go and, you know, learn that uh, computer programming language or perhaps get a job as a computer programmer. uh, Well, then you have an obligation to try, right? Remember, you have an obligation under the law to mitigate. mitigate. You have an, you have an obligation. You can't just sit uh, back and collect a paycheck without trying to get back mm-hmm. into things. But you should only try to get back to work, whether it's your work or, or another type of job, if you feel that you can, right. number one, and if your doctors clear you to go back. If they haven't cleared you and you feel that you cannot do that, well, then you shouldn't be doing it, Right. But very, very important that, you know, he understands, Dina, that if he tries to do these things, if he tries to go back to work or go into a different profession and he then fails, well, then there's a very strong argument to the insurance company. Well, what, what else do you want him to do? I mean, yeah, he he's tried. tried to mitigate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if he says, listen, I just refuse to go to the assessor or he's gone to the assessor and says, I refuse to try and go back, even though my doctors have cleared me, 
he's going to be deemed to be in breach of his insurance policy. And right. that means that they're going to cut him off. And then we have to get involved. And, you know, we'll be able to help, but it makes it that much more difficult because he does have an obligation under the law to mitigate. What if someone, they're, they're already on LTD and they got to uh, they got to take certain medications or go to certain therapies and they refuse? Can they refuse? So that's another good question. Again, yeah. it's not a black and white, right? I mean, if a person refuses to take a medication because that medication makes them more ill or drowsy yeah. and it hinders their ability to function, well, then they have a good reason, right? The insurance company is going to say it's a good excuse. I'm going to say <laughs> it's a good reason. But get that backed up by your doctors. Get your doctors to write something that says, no, I disagree with that medication. Or I disagree with you know those three treatment modalities that the insurance doctor has said that my client should do. I don't think he should do that. I think he should do X, Y, and Z instead. Well, if your own doctor is telling you you should not be doing what the insurance doctor is telling you to do, I think it's reasonable for the individual to follow their own treating doctor's recommendations. At the very least, the insurance company should be getting the doctors to talk to each other and maybe they can agree on a treatment plan. So it's not unreasonable for you to refuse treatments, refuse medications, as long as there is a sound basis for that. If all you're saying is that, look, I just don't believe in medications, I don't believe in treatments, I only believe in just lying in bed and doing nothing, you're going to have a problem again for the same reason we discussed earlier. You have an obligation to mitigate. All goes back to the doctor. You have to try and get better. Exactly. We'll uh, wrap it for another week. Uh, The number to get a hold of now the show is over any time for that matter. Uh, Savannah, 1-888-990-9646. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't used it, find out what your pain and suffering should be. The real number takes about 30 seconds to go through the metric. It is injurycalculator.ca as well. Till next time, the insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.